Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the June 4, 2023 session, focusing on Genesis chapter 1, verses 1, through chapter 2, verse 4, Creator God. I'm David Cassidy. I'm David Adams. And I'm Crystal Shepard. We're talking about creativity today, and some people will say they're more creative than other people. Some people go, oh, I'm not creative at all. I think we all have some creative ability, some creative area in which we express that part of ourselves. So for you, what would you say is that part of you, that area where you express creativity? I think for me, it would probably be, there's two areas. One is my writing. I love to write. I've always loved to write. And the other, some people don't know this about me. I was a theater major in college with a minor in political science. Doesn't that sound (laughs) exciting? And so I don't get to do it much anymore, but I loved to perform. And I used that training when I would be able to deliver sermons when I was in, in working in church work. And also when I read stories to my kids. So those are my creative outlets. Interesting. Yeah. I had no idea about you. Yeah. Mine tend to be more about, it's about everything shy of creative media. <laughs> visual media. If it's not, visual media. Visual media. I can't draw. I'm the worst person on <laughs> earth when it comes to playing Pictionary or something like that. I'm just terrible. I can't do that kind of thing. And I'm not real good at taking the right picture for something either. But it's about everything shy of that. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty much there. I grew up playing with the arts, whether it was music, art. I was the first person in my high school to take art four years in a row. I just loved it, ate it up. We did all kinds of different media. So we painted, we did scratch board, we did watercolor, you name it, we did it. And I just loved it. And as I've aged, I've gotten busier (laughs) and art takes time. But photography for me has been one of those places where I really enjoy the creativity that's available there to be able to, to both the creative use of the device, but also the creative framing of what's in front of me and what part of it do I choose and how do I choose to capture that. It's very, it's a very therapeutic thing as well. I love just going on a hike and carrying the camera. So today, I think we have a text that very interestingly focuses on creativity and God's creativity, in fact. It's a familiar passage, which always presents a challenge (laughs) because we're so familiar with them, we think we've got them figured out. But as we all know, the text can present itself to us with many meanings and many ways of understanding. And so, Crystal, would you help us take a look at this one today? Sure. As David said, today's scripture is perhaps one of the best known in all of the Bible. It opens the Hebrew scriptures and is our first introduction to God and the nature of who God is. So much has been said and analyzed about this opening passage to the Bible. Genesis 1 is beautiful poetry with its epic intro speaking in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. It reads like a Star Wars movie-esque beginning to an amazing saga. It is symmetrical with God creating, seeing it as good, and then evening and morning of each day. As beautiful and as good as it all is, 
This passage has been used to perpetuate a narrow view of time and God's timing. Yes, I'm talking about the age of Earth and the dinosaurs, which are suspiciously absent in this telling. It's beautiful, and it's really been twisted, I would say, to insist that being fruitful means the subjugation of women, or that subduing the Earth means complete control and exploitation of all creation, rather than careful stewardship and care of our planet. But as problematic as all of this can be, I have to say I love this part of Genesis. I grew up with the standard interpretation of this passage and honestly saw it as something embarrassing with its seven-day creation because it directly seemed to conflict with science and be incompatible. I truly didn't fall in love with it until I was in seminary taking our Hebrew class. And I wish Bert was here today because we sat through those classes together. Bert, doggish Laney to you today. Had to, I had to throw that in there. Our professor of this class was the seminary president and a wizard with Hebrew. I suspect he picked Genesis 1 because of its repetition and symmetry. I think he had pity on us poor seminarians. We began trudging through the Hebrew with our Hebrew Bibles and our lexicons. I felt like some ancient explorer excavating ruins or trying to read the treasure map written in symbols. It felt exciting and powerful and holy. And as we began the translation, I will never forget coming to the part where the earth is a formless void and darkness is everywhere. A wind from God, sometimes translated as Ruach, the spirit of God swept or hovered over the face of the waters, or my favorite translation, the face of the deep. What our professor said at this moment changed my view on God and creation and opened a new understanding of God to me. He said that this could be more accurately translated as a mother hen brooding over her babies. God as mother hen? God as mother. I was not yet a mother myself when I heard these words, but it tore open something inside of me. When Genesis says we are made in the image of God, both male and female, it's really hard for a young girl growing up in a conservative faith tradition to see that image in herself. Yet here was this image of God as a mother hen brooding, longing for and calling into being her creation. I've been pregnant six times and given birth three. I've also had the opportunity to raise chickens. I have definitely hit the broody part of labor. <laughs> I have watched chickens, a female chicken, sitting on her eggs and not wanting to eat or drink or sleep as she practically wills them to hatch. The intent of growing and bringing forth life is a strong one, filled with equal parts of hope, determination, and nurturing. Even if you've not given birth to a human child, I think we can all understand this. How many of us have planted a garden, nurtured a houseplant, cared for a pet, painted a picture, or worked to write a paper or a story? How many of us have fostered a relationship, hoped that something would work out? In so many ways, we reflect the image of God as creator and nurturer. What Genesis 1 offers us, though, is a feminine image of God. 
it is a counter image to the masculine or authoritarian view. I'd always heard of this as God is parent. What is interesting is translating Genesis 1 helped me to see God as loving, nurturing, willing the world and little old me into existence. God deliberated over and wished for each of us. That same God calls us to God's self in the shelter of those loving wings to be safe. Mother hens will fluff out their feathers and spread their wings to shelter their babies from a storm. A mother hen will take a beating and fight to the death to save her babies either from a predator or from themselves. A mother hen will snuggle those babies and keep them warm at night as well as nudge them along as they learn to live into all that it means to be a chicken. Genesis 1 gives us so much more than how the world began. It gives us a picture of God that has been eternally for us, wishing and hoping and willing and protecting us from the dawn of time. It is a sentiment that is continued when Jesus weeps over Jerusalem, saying that he would have called them to him as a mother hen would call her chicks. It is found in Revelation with a vision of all being called back to the Creator who has held them from the beginning. In the beginning, the Spirit of God brooded over the formless void like a mother hen brooding over her chicks. God as Creator, as Mother, called into being all that is and all that will be. May we rest in the shelter of the arms of our Mother God. May we find comfort and ourselves in the image of God as Creator. Creation and life are messy and chaotic. May we enter the peace of a nurturer God and find our home and our rest there. Crystal, thank you for that. It not only brought back memories of Hebrew classes, <laughs> not with Dr. Earwood, but, right. <laughs> but still similar feelings. But I really appreciated the, the way you helped remind us of how connected we are to the things we create. And, you know, just as when I certainly small things like painting something or crafting something, you know, I hate to see that get get destroyed, mm -hmm. you know, if it accidentally gets broken or torn up or that hurts, right? Because I created it. I put time and energy into it. I cared about it. But it's a whole different level when you start talking about my children. Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't create them, but <laughs> I had a little bit of a part in it. Right. And 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 I I certainly was part of helping shape them as they were growing up. But there is a pride and a care for and an interest in nurturing. I mean, they're all grown up now, but I still am just as dedicated to being a nurturing parent now as I was when they emerged. And when I think about God caring about God's creation at that same passionate depth, that changes how I read this text. It changes how I feel about, well, creation, because this is a thing that God cared enough about to do and to pour God's self into that. I mean, that's a different way of thinking about it than some distant figure that causes something to come into being. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's impersonal. This is personal for God. I think that's why I loved 
that interpretation so much. And I didn't, I couldn't completely understand at the time. Like I said, I wasn't a parent at that moment. I hadn't raised chickens at that moment, but there was something about that image that I was like, I had never heard it before. Hmm. And it brought it down to a level where I could understand it enough to understand, like, the love of God in that moment of creation mm-hmm. that was very personal and intimate and how that carried over because we talk about like God, the God of the cosmos, the God, the yes. creator God. And when you can think about it more on that very visceral personal level, mm-hmm. you start realizing how much God truly loves us. Yes. Yes. If we could love at this level, how much more mm-hmm. is God's? Yeah. I, I was, really taken by where you started with this too, because we all have come from a place where we have seen this passage used in the way you were describing growing up. We all know this. Everyone's going to talk about how, oh, there's a certain timing involved and here's what the days mean. (laughs) But all that kind of conversation tends to be us trying to have control of this movement in some way, to make ourselves the center of God's investment rather than all of creation the center of God's investment. I know in the passage, there's a spot in here where you notice the stars come in late, like all these billions of stars get created <laughs> just for us. And there are people who approach their faith that way, almost as if it's all about me. God did this for me, and it's all done because I'm that important. And maybe to God we are, but I don't think we take it that way. I think we often still come back to this whole idea of, oh, we have control of the process. This is something special. It has to be this way and no other way. And there's no room for creativity in how you interpret this, or even embracing God as the loving mother hen who's creating us and proud of what God's created. No, it's about us. Mm-hmm. And I struggle to, to think about all the times we make this about us, when from the very beginning, it clearly isn't. That's interesting, David. So, So God had a need to create. I mean, this is about God, not about us. Right. Which is also, I think, what you're describing. That's a very interesting way of reorienting ourselves to realize that we are part of something that was important to God to do for God, (laughs) Mm -hmm. not for us. We're not the center of this. Yeah, I think I grew up, too, with this kind of idea that because humankind is created like they're towards the end that we're like the crowning achievement of all of creation. And (laughs) I like you saying that David, because it's like, well, no, not really. We were just on, we just happened to be towards the end. It wasn't like we were this, we were this most amazing. We are amazing. Right. I mean, our bodies, it's amazing what we are, but having that humility to say we are part of that creation. We are not, And yes, we get, we were, but we were the ones that were given a responsibility, right? And I don't think that's ever, it, we're special, but we're not special. Does that make sense? Like we, we have a responsibility to creation, but we aren't God. Yeah. And this question comes back in the Psalms. One of the most Mm. famous Psalms asks this exact question. What are we that you're mindful of us? When I look at this night sky you've made and all the work of your hands and all the pieces, what are we that you're mindful of us? So at some point, somebody else has realized that, hey, wait a minute, this is putting ourselves in front of everything and as if we're special in some way that's beyond everybody else. And maybe not. At some point, they had the humility to ask that question. And, and I think we we are being reminded 
by creation, that we are part of it. As climate change, these storms, the fires, the hurricanes, the tornadoes, the the temperature shifts, what it does for agriculture, what it does for the other creatures on the planet. I mean, I think we are being reminded that even though we sometimes want to live as if it's just us and our needs, that we really are part of this system. If if this yeah. planet, if this planet goes downhill, we will suffer with it. We are part of this system. Mm-hmm. And that's how it was made to be. Well, I think that's the point I was getting at where we think we are to subdue it in the sense of just because everything was given doesn't mean we have to completely deplete it. That's what yeah, we use it as if it's something that's just gonna keep being there. We have to take care of what we have. And that's really hard. Because not everybody sees it that way. And so really, you need that buy-in from a whole bunch of people. And I recently had a, uh, this may be a digression, but I had a friend who lives out of the United States. He lives in Japan. And he posted that for the amount of private jets that came to Derby, this many carbon emissions were released. And then someone's, and here I am over here using my mushy straw to save the planet. And (laughs) But I think we all have a responsibility to say, if God made us as part of creation, yeah, then we have a responsibility to care for that creation, our own selves, our own bodies, our own health, but also the health of our planet. Which is why how we interpret this text is pretty important, right? Because yeah. <laughs> if, if what we're saying is true, that God created us as part of this creation, not not a part from it to rule over it and use it and consume it, but instead to steward it, to care for it, to live alongside and within it. That That is a different way of being. And I think the church has a really awesome message to share there that's needed in this day so that we can play that important role of stewardship. Yes, yeah, not all of this was made for us necessarily. <laughs> uh, we do have an entitled view almost of mm-hmm. God that I think this really questions. This was not all made for us. We're not so great that God's going to make a thing for us. We're just a little bit of what God has made and we're living a part in that. But it comes down to worldview in quite a number of ways that we don't really appreciate in our country or really as people of privilege in the world in general, because that's what it means to have privilege is the idea that the world was made for you. Or the the things you have, well, those are things God provided for you, rather than I'm living in a world where this happens to be my responsibility and this happens to be where I am in it. That's a tough brain thing to wrap our heads around that, wait, this is not for me? I don't deserve this? How do I think about that? So we went on a trip to Israel some years ago, and one of the—Regina— my wife helps plan these trips and she had put this trip together and we had a wonderful experience, a great group of people. One of the people who traveled with us was an art professor at Wesleyan College, the school where Regina was working at the time. And when we returned a few weeks later, this art professor came to Regina's office and presented her with a gift. It was a, it was a painting that was this huge, big painting that shows showed different areas that we had traveled, different experiences that we would have kind of merged together in this one frame. 
And it's beautiful, but it's more than just beautiful. It, it is a reminder of time we spent together. And we have, we have had that nicely framed, and it sits in a prominent place in our dining room now so that anyone who comes and has, has a meal with us is going to see that painting. And, of course, the story flows out of it. And we treasure that and, frankly, take joy in that creative act that she'd had. She, she sat down and spent hours creating this piece of art, and we treasure it and take joy in it every time we sit down and eat in front of it. And, and I have to think that we were intended to take joy in this invitation of God to participate in this creation. We get to play a role in this creation that is really wonderful and joyful because it is a really, as, as Crystal was saying, it's amazing any of this exists. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's amazing how wonderful we get to experience it. I mean, that's that's a gift. And we ought to treasure gifts. And all the time we're talking about this, I imagine where this passage of Scripture came from. You know, when you're breaking out the Old Testament, you're looking at where things come from. Can you imagine being out in the middle of the desert someplace with this huge starry sky over your head, a little campfire going, it's late at night, and some person stands up and says, let me tell you about my God. The perspective that gives you on faith is so different from what we get in a sterile church someplace, just going through the motions of reading the Scriptures again this week like we did last week. Yeah, that's a, that's a great image. Someone else who is excellent at helping craft images is the late Frederick Beekner, who I often quote, but it's because he's so good. <laughs> and I, so I would like to read as a bit of closing for today's conversation, a little bit from a book called Wishful Thinking, where he talks about God's creative work. And here's, here's what Frederick Beekner has to say. He says, to make suggests making something out of something, the way a carpenter makes wooden boxes out of wood. To create suggests making something out of nothing, the way an artist makes paintings or poems. It is true that artists, like carpenters, have to use something else, paint, words, but the beauty or the meaning they make is different from the material they make it out of. To create is to make something essentially new. When God created the creation, God made something where before there had been nothing. And as the author of the book of Job puts it, quote, the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. At the sheer and shimmering novelty of the thing. New every morning is the love, our wakening and uprising prove, says the hymn, using the same old materials of earth, air, fire, and water. Every 24 hours, God creates something new out of them. Every morning you wake up to something that in all eternity never was before and never will be again. And the you that wakes up was never the same before and will never be the same again. Good words to take and consider 
as we enter this next week. Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible Study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.